Welcome to the Ginghamsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a second to download the Ginghamsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Ginghamsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step in your journey with Jesus. Good morning, church. It is good to be with you this morning. It is good to see that none of you melted on the way here, that you made it through just fine. Was it still storming when you came in? This morning, a little bit. Yeah, when I pulled out of my garage this morning, it was like Lunding and Thightner. That's what it was. Um, The thunder and lightning and all that jazz, but it was nothing compared to something that I experienced earlier this week. So I am a West Virginia girl. Anybody else? Any other mountain mamas in here? All right, I'm out. Um, so I'm from West Virginia. My mother and father live in Beckley, which you've probably driven through there if you've ever gone to the beach. Maybe, possibly. And, uh, and there is just this drastic difference in landscape whenever you cross the bridge from Point Pleasant into West Virginia. Like there's just this, this beautiful, magnificent, no offense to all of you people who really love living in Ohio, but like there is just a beauty and a splendor when you cross over into the mountains. They don't sing about Ohio flatlands, people. That's not a song. And so we, I was driving and, and I crossed the bridge and immediately I'm over into West Virginia and it's just absolutely marvelous winding into the mountains. And as I get, as I get down into the valley, I see that the clouds are starting starting to form just little gray wisps through the sky. And, and as, I, as I get further down in the valley, all of a sudden large kerplunks of rain start pelting my windshield and then all hail broke loose. It was a disaster. It stormed. It was the hardest storm that I had ever driven through in my life. And you ask, I know you're thinking, why didn't you just pull over? Well, thank you, mother. That's a good question. I didn't because I was going to conquer the storm. It was me against it. This great disturbance had occurred in my life and in my journey, and I was going to win, me and my Ford Explorer and my nice new tires. We could handle it. Any amount of water that this storm sent my way, it was the hardest storm that I'd ever driven through in my life. And... And I could hear it, like the thunder was so loud that it shook my vehicle. I drive by crazy tractor trailers, like they just, man, they're buzzing by and throwing water up everywhere. And for 20 minutes, white knuckles, heart racing, I get through this storm. And I come through the other side and I look back at my rear view mirror and this beautiful rainbow is covering the city of Charleston, West Virginia. And I made it. This disturbance that could have been life-altering for some. There were floods that happened, waters that rose, rivers that, that crested their banks. All of that occurred. It could have been, I mean, it, it definitely was disturbing. Frustrating, scary for many as they're pulling their vehicles off the side of the road, really hoping that their cars haven't been dented dented by hail or that the next car that drives by doesn't lose control and hydroplane into theirs. It's a really scary thing when disturbances happen. But there was so much beauty in it, so much marvelousness. The wonder of God proclaimed through the clouds and the sky and the rain and the thunder and the lightning. And you begin to think about the beauty of what can happen when God is in the middle of the disturbance. 
And we're going to be talking about a disturbance today. A disturbance disturbance in the book of Acts, chapter 19. And if you would stand with me today for the reading of God's Word, I don't know if you do that here, but we're going to do it because I'm only here today, and tomorrow I'm gone, and y'all can do whatever you want tomorrow. How's that sound? Sound good? All right, we're good. Acts 19, beginning in verse 23, about that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called all the craftsmen together along with the workers in related trades and he said to them, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus. I'm reading dramatically for your benefit. And in practically the whole province of Asia, he says, gods are made by human hands are not gods at all. Well, this is a danger, not only to our trade, would lose its good name, but also to the temple of the great goddess Artemis. It will be discredited. And the goddess herself who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Okay, you sense in the dramatic things that are happening here? Okay, good. When they heard this, they were furious, and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon, the whole city was in an uproar. The word of God for the people of God this morning. You may be seated. Paul Paul has been working in Ephesus for about two years at this point. I'm not even sure that he was going to, I don't know that he was really planning on stopping there for a long period of time. He shows up and there's this group of disciples that have started following the way of Jesus. They don't really know what's going on. They haven't learned a whole lot. And Paul comes in and says, hey, have you been baptized with the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And they said, we didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. Tell us more. And so he stayed for two years. Paul can be kind of long-winded. And he baptizes them with the Holy Spirit and all of these miraculous and marvelous things begin to occur. This city that is very religious dedicated to the god Artemis, um, all of a sudden these people begin following the way of Jesus. And anytime things change, my friends, it causes a disruption. You see, this guy wasn't really worried about his trade. He wasn't really worried about the goddess at all. What he was really worried about was his pockets. And that became a big concern for him big enough that he was going to start a riot. Raising up people around him, he did this disturbance thing on purpose. It was on purpose. He wanted to get people riled up. Do you know people like that? I like to get people riled up. It's fun. He wanted to get people riled up. He wanted to get people on his side. And this disturbance that was caused really started to affect others. This disturbance could have upended the church. It could have changed the whole city from what it was, this this mecca of, of people who were beginning to love Jesus and follow after the way to a people who slid back into their old habits and their old behaviors, following goddesses made with hands instead of a God who made us with his own hands. 
About that time, Acts 19.23 says, about that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. So this is my Bible. Um, well, one of my Bibles. I really like Bibles. I have a lot of them. And, uh, and so this is, this, is, this is my Bible. It's nice. It has a lot of really good words in it. These things are important. Um, you should read yours if you, if you have one. Um, here is the thing, friends. Like, it, it doesn't do anything for you unless you allow it to get into you. And we talk about the word of God for the people of God, and that simply just means that this was written for you, for your benefit, for your sake. It only changes lives when it gets into you. And so today, we're going to get into the word in a way that's going to disturb you a little bit. We could read through this story again. We could do a play-by-play commentary of all the things that were happening in the city of Ephesus, but we're not going to do that. What we're going to do is we're going to do some dirty work digging into our own hearts and lives today. We are going to be disturbed for the sake of the kingdom of God. All right, is that all right? You guys okay? All right, you got a ways to go. Like first service, they were very talky with me. They were doing great. Y'all need, you're you're going to, you'll get better as we keep going. I, I, I believe in you. So we're going to talk. <laughs> we're going to talk about three different ways that that happens. Now I never preach three-point sermons, but today I'm breaking my never. Usually I'm like Novocaine baby, one point, drive it home, let's get it. But today we're going to talk about three different ways how we respond and react to great disturbances in our lives and what we do about that. So the first thing is whenever we experience a great disturbance in our lives, we seek comfort in conformity. We seek comfort in conformity. We want the church to stay the same. We want our world to stay the same. We like it that way. And we really like to tell people that we don't. We love to tell people that we are diverse and we love diversity. All right, we're like 98% white in Tip City, people. We haven't shown that necessarily by our actions, but we use our verbiage. There's a theory called um, the theory of cognitive dissonance. Do you guys know what that is? Have you heard it before? All right, you can do it. That's great. Awesome. Thank you. So cognitive dissonance really is this space between what you know and what you do, what you believe and how you behave. Does that make sense? So we're going to use smokers as an example um, because it's an easy one for all of us to understand. Everyone in here would agree Smoking is bad for you. It's not good for you, right? It affects your lungs, it affects your body, it affects other people in your household. Smoking is not good for you. If you ask a smoker, is smoking good for you, what are they gonna say? No, it's not good for me, I shouldn't be doing that. That's ridiculous. The problem is there's this muddy middle in between where they're really struggling with, this is what I believe to be true. I believe that smoking's bad for me, but this is how I behave. I still smoke. So for us today, in our our comfortable conformity, we have to choose. We would all say, diversity is great. It's so good whenever people are different and whenever you come to the table and you have good, hard conversations about things and you walk away a better person because you've surrounded yourself with people who are different than you. But how many of us are really doing that? This story is very interesting because you think that would Paul, Paul, he would go in and he'd start a fight. 
He does that. Paul has lots of things to say. He starts lots of fights. Actually, Paul and I fight on a regular basis. There's some things that he said in some of his letters that have caused me a lot of problems as a woman pastor. And so whenever I get to heaven, I'm going to be like, Paul, so this one thing that you said has been taken out of context five billion times, and you really made life tough on us 2,000 years later. Paul is, he's a fighter. He's going in, but in this specific situation, he does nothing. He does nothing. He listens to the advice of wise counsel, and Paul walks away from this fight. How weird. But now we look back. We can, we can look through the lens of 2,000 years, and this is what I see. The temple to the goddess Artemis is in shambles, rubble. One pillar remains, while the way of Jesus Christ has reached millions of hearts across the globe and transformed lives just like yours and mine. God continues to work He continues to speak. He continues to transform us. But we have to live in that muddy space between what we know and what we actually do. Antoine de Saint said this, He who is different from me does not impoverish me. He enriches me. Our unity is constituted in something higher than ourselves, in man. For no man seeks to hear his own echo or find his reflection in a glass. In other words, we are better when we are different. Diversity drives us to ask the hard questions that are necessary for the kingdom of God to expand. And the kingdom of God truly includes all nations, all nations under the banner of one allegiance. And that is to Jesus Christ alone. That's it. That's it. First, we seek comfort in conformity. Y'all with me? Yeah. All right. I use y'all because I'm from West Virginia. Two, we cling to rightness. We cling to rightness. We choose being right over relationship repeatedly on a regular basis. It's easier to be mad about something than it is to have a conversation with someone about what's going on. Mending roads. So we're going to start a riot today. What makes you livid? I'm going to let you think about that question while I explain a little bit of my family to you. So I have three biological sons. Um, uh, Miles is 16, Joel is 18, and Ryan is 20. He just got engaged on Friday. Oh my goodness, right? No, no, the right answer was, oh, honey, you don't look old enough to have a 20-year-old engaged son. I thank you. Thank you so much. And then when my boys got a little bit older, we adopted at birth my daughter, who is eight years old, um, and her name is Hattie Jo. Now, if you've ever met Hattie Jo, you know that girl is fierce and feisty and a lot of other things. And uh, we pray for her regularly. She's either going to be president or in jail. We don't know which one yet. And uh, she just, she is so strong-willed. And and so there are are certain things in Hattie's life that you just don't, like, you just don't mess with. First of all, she thinks she's right all the time. 
So we're constantly reminding her, honey, remember this relationship is more important than you being right. She's eight years old and she does not believe me, by the way. You may be sitting there not believing me today. That's fine. So my husband is a middle school teacher. Some of your kids may have had him. He teaches computer science at uh, Tippecanoe Middle School. And he also is the middle school football coach. Um, And he's real cute. And he took all 5,000 of our children to church by himself this morning. So God bless his soul. He's an amazing man. Um, so if you ever encounter him and you're mad at him, just remember he really is amazing. And, uh, and so um, accountant mom with a 13-year-old son, uh, you are not a professional football coach. I don't know if you know that or not. You think you might be, but, but you're not. And um, also, like, be careful how you behave at games. Not like I've ever yelled at a baseball umpire in Little League. Here's the other thing, people. We live in Tip City. Your kid's probably not going to be in the NFL. Oh, that might be the harshest thing I say to you all day today. We live in Tip City, friends. Like, your kid's probably not going to the NFL. This game is probably not life or death. They are middle schoolers. They're just worried about breaking an arm and the cute girl sitting across the lunch table from them, if they're even into girls yet, right? Like, that is, that, that's, the total, that's the total mindset. But for parents, oh my goodness, we will get at it if we think that our child is somehow not being treated the way they should be. So they're losing this football game. And Chad is coaching, and he's doing a great job because he's my husband, and I think he always does a great job, right? So he's coaching this football game, and there is this mama up high in the stands, and she is yelling. She's been yelling the whole time, but she's really yelling now, yelling and hollering and screaming. And then, so my whole family is there. We've gone to see Chad coach. We've gone to see the football players play. We're being supportive. Yay us, good family. And this woman starts yelling at my husband specifically, talking about how he's a loser and more colorful language than that. And, and she just really starts ripping into Chad for not being or doing the things that, you know, she probably wasn't an accountant. I don't know what she does. That was just an example. But, and so Hattie Jo has been sitting there with me and we're just like watching the game. And she hears this woman yell Chad's name and just start to berate him. And my eight-year-old daughter gets up out of her seat, looks up in the bleachers of that woman and goes, and starts marching up the bleacher stand. And I'm like, whoop, girlfriend, come back here. (laughs) She's like, that woman's talking bad about my dad. I was like, yes, I know, honey, it's going to be fine. (laughs) You're not going to fight anyone here today, right? But you've got that in you too, right? There are things that make you livid, issues or topics that really set you off. You start having conversations about something, you can feel your blood pressure boil. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell them what it is. You've had like four minutes to think about it now. What is it that really lights your fire, gets you mad, sets you off? You'll fight for it. Did you get a couple good ones? I bet a handful, we got mama bears out there. Be like, you mess with my children, you die. I get that. I get that. Okay, now, I want you to look at your neighbor again. Do you care more about your neighbor or do you care more about the issue? Do you care more about the flesh and blood that is sitting in the seat next to you or do you care more about this thing that you just feel so passionately about? 
Those are the questions we have to ask ourselves when we are stuck in situations just like the one that we find in Acts chapter 19. When a great disturbance arises in our lives, we have to remember that our enemy is not flesh and blood. Your enemy is not the person sitting next to you. It's not the person sitting on the other side of the world from you. It's not the person on the other side of the border from you. Those people are not your enemies. There is a constant power working among us, seeking to destroy unity, to, dis- to create disunity, so that the way of Jesus cannot spread. The good, redeeming, healing work cannot be done in people's lives. Man. James, most likely the brother of Jesus, points us to this path. He, he writes this to the, to the Jewish church. And I think it's a good passage for us today in James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Man, it's a, it's a work of humility. It's a work of, of putting others above yourself. It's a work of sitting God first in your life so that you can love and minister to others in a way that is transformative to them and transformative for you. You have the opportunity to bridge the gap. And here's the thing, it's really easy for us to be right on our couch while we're watching CNN or Fox News. Quit watching the news, people. I don't know, like find an app where you can read things. Quit watching the news. It's so detrimental. Like it it causes people's other perspectives get into our minds and our heads and they begin to tell us that the person on the other side of that opinion is our enemy. So it's really easy to be right on your couch, to be right on your office, to be right in your bed at night or in your shower. That's where I do some of my best thinking. It's harder to choose rightness first when you are in healthy communal relationships with other people. That's where it is. All right. So what do we do? We seek comfort in conformity. We cling to rightness. And the third thing is we arm against change. We become protectors of sacred cows. We feel like the world is changing around us. We bring everything in to keep everything as the same as humanly possible so that we do not feel like we are being attacked or that we're out of control. Verse 26 says, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray a large number of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. Let's not like, you know, blow things out of proportion. He says the gods made by human hands are no gods at all. And people go for two hours. They chant, great is Artemis, the god of the Ephesians. Why? Because they don't want anything to change. 
They don't want to have to change the way that they make income. They don't want their society to change. They don't want anything to change at all. They want everything to stay the same all the time, all the time, because it makes us comfortable. Todd Bolsinger wrote a book called Canoeing the Mountains. Has anyone read that before? Uh, Yeah, thank you. It's amazing. Um, A phenomenal book. I recommend it to everybody, and I love how um, our sign language for canoeing is great. That's amazing. Thank you so much (laughs) for canoeing the mountains. And what he talks about is the journey of Lois and Clark. And they're, I mean, really, they just thought they were going to canoe and map out the entire territory. They're just going to canoe from one ocean to the next, everything in between. But the problem was they get to the mountains and all of a sudden they can't canoe anymore. What are they going to do? They can't go anywhere. They have to decide at that very moment whether they're going to change their strategy for continuing the quest, the journey that they're on, or if they're going to continue doing the same old thing. It's fine, we'll just canoe up this mountain. And you think it's funny, but we do it in church all the time. We do it in church all the time. I heard a pastor preach a couple weeks ago. And he was sharing a story. He was at a revival service of some kind, and there was a whole group of teenagers sitting like right in this section right here. And, uh, and they were playing, you know, he said, I don't know, half the songs they were playing, I didn't even know, they're, you know, whatever. Um, he said, but those teenagers are raising their hands and they're worshiping Jesus, and we're just so excited. We're, I was so excited. And so I, I preach and I'm leaving, and there was this older gentleman that I knew from a long time ago, and I, I ran into him in the aisle way, and he said, well, what'd you think of that mess? And he was like, I don't know, what are you, what are you talking, I don't know what you're talking about, what are you talking about? He said, that music, that stuff's just awful. I can't believe we play that in church. That's ridiculous. And this pastor begins to share with him. He's like, man, did you see all those teenagers? They're raising their hands. They're worshiping Jesus. They're praising God. And the gentleman who had been in the church his whole life claims to love Jesus with all his soul, heart, mind, and strength, looked at that pastor and he said, they can have the church when I'm dead. Now listen. You may do the uh, thing right now, but how many times have you done that? How many times have you said, man, if things would just stay the same, if the church would just do what I want? Your worship team is amazing, by the way. Like phenomenal hearts of, yes, thank you. You should tell them more often that the way that they're worshiping up here is helping you to worship out there. Like they are leading you well. Get off your high horse. Quit nitpicking at people. You want somebody up nitpicking in your business? No. Be kind to your pastors. You're receiving an amazing man of God here in a few weeks. Man, Pastor Dennis, he's just a great guy. Loves Jesus. He's going to love you well. Love him well. Love him back well. Don't choose rightness over relationship. Don't arm yourself against change. When he comes, be open to the things that he says and the things that God wants to do in and through you. And that's going to mean sacrifice on your part. It's the only way that it happens. It it means that you are going to have to give up some things that you hold tightly to for the sake of the kingdom, that you're going to have to set aside your opinions. So when I... um, we watched the video today that was talking about, um, what, it, what is it officially, Marcy? It's like a cyber church? Yes, like a reality church experience. Now, for some of you out there, you probably saw that and you thought, that is the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. 
No, I know what you're thinking. Jesus told me. Like, I know what you're thinking. And I'm sitting up here and I'm thinking, my 18-year-old who is on the autism spectrum, man, that is a way that he is going to experience Jesus. Like that, something like that is going to transform my son's life. It's going to move him closer to Christ. And so for me, I'm like, all about it. And who cares if it, if it succeeds? Awesome. Praise be to God. And if it fails, who cares? We just move on, right? Like we move on to the next thing that we go, this is the best way for us to reach people in our society today. And we surround ourselves with people who are like-minded, who care about the kingdom of God more than anything else. More than anything else. I care about people coming to know Christ more than I care about how I feel about this situation. I care more about people coming to Christ than I care about, you know, sitting on the third row piano side in my chair. Whatever it is that we're clinging to. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded. By being like-minded. Having the same love. Being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing, okay? Not some things, not part of the things. Nothing. Do nothing out of selfish, selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. Our battle is not with one another. How can we, how can we lay down the arms that we have picked up to fight against change? We can do that by being humble gentle, by bearing with one another in love, by not looking out for number one all the time and sitting aside what I think for the greater goodness of the kingdom of God. And how do we do that? We do that by asking the right questions. NRA, the next right answer. What now? What is next for us we find that by clinging to the ways of Jesus and when life is disrupted by the rest of the world, by our family, by fires, by friendships being broken, by someone sinning against you, what do we do? We follow after the ways of Christ. We get into the word of God and allow the word of God to get into us and transform us. And here is the hope and the promise for each of us that we can live a life of full dependence on Jesus Christ. And we can commit to the way of Jesus. Now, you may not have killed anybody like Paul had. Um, you may not have promoted a riot mentality or a mob for the sake of rightness but I'll tell you what you have done. You've clung to conformity when diversity was the answer. You have chosen rightness over relationship, and you have been the naysayers during important and vital changes that can change the world. So this is a day 
This is a day where we can step out of the status quo of our own lives and we can step into the freedom and the hope of what God wants to do for you, for this community of faith, and for the world. Let's see what kind of great disturbance God wants to do today. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, O oh God, for the way that you work in our hearts and our lives and in our minds. We thank you for the way that you speak to us. When the world seems to be yelling, you come in with this still, small voice reminding us of who you are and who you desire for us to be. So, Lord, I pray that we'll lay down all of these weapons that we've picked up to arm ourselves against hurt, against disruption. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to look into the eyes of our neighbor and not see an enemy, but see someone who is a friend of God's, your friend. And I pray that we won't cling to conformity, that instead we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds and the living of our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit who comes in and does a new work in us today. And God, help us to have hearts that are moldable to change. In the face of uncertainty, we give all of those things to you. Trusting, trusting, trusting. In you, O Heavenly Father. And we give you all of the glory and honor and praise today. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you'd like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Ginghamsburg app or online at ginghamsburg.org.